People ask me all the time how I've got to where I am now in my photography business. There's a lot of answers, but underlying them all is I had to let go of beliefs of who I was. That process, yeah, not an easy one and still ongoing. But here it is straight up. If there's something you want in life, photography, business, and you don't yet have it, there's a reason. And that reason is you, not something outside of yourself. Today's episode is about radical responsibility. And it also is about giving yourself grace and understanding. With this, you can do anything. Do you want to be a National Geographic photographer? Yep, it's possible. Anything is possible when you remove your self-imposed limits. Hi, I'm Christine Riche, an artist and mentor to photographers around the world. Consider me your interstellar guide on the path to being a better nightscape photographer. In this podcast, we will bring together our artistic right brain and technical left brain by exploring creativity, art, and inspiration in photography, as well as diving into technique, gear, and strategy necessary to elevate your craft and photographic practice. I am so happy to be a part of your Milky Way journey. This is the After Dark Photography Podcast. So did I overpromise in my intro to today's episode? If I'm being frank, I actually don't think I did. I was interviewed a couple months ago by a friend on their podcast where they interview uh, creatives. So they're The duo is a painter, and he is a singer and songwriter. And on their episode, the very end, they ask the same question to everyone. And they ask me, how would I know if I've made it? And I replied that I'm constantly making it. I have to say, I am at a place in my life I never dreamed of. Actually, never dreamed of being where I am right now. It's beyond what I could have imagined was possible. And here's the thing, it didn't happen because of some uncontrollable external circumstance like winning the lottery. In fact, where I am today, sitting down to record this podcast to talk to you, it started to happen when I was swinging on a swing at Kenneth Walker Park one winter evening with Jazz after I got Oscar down to bed. That was the night I was listening to the second lesson in a self-helpy genre kind of course that I did with a coach and woman named Emily King. And this is where I was introduced to the idea of a limiting belief. Specifically in her course, it was all around uh, limiting money beliefs. And that's the moment. That's the moment that I can pinpoint this change starting to happen. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about today. I'm really excited to bring this episode here to you when we're coming up right on Christmas. If you're listening to this when it's being recorded, Christmas is only a few days away. I find the holiday season to have so many things 
wrapped up inside it. And I know it's different for everyone. So you listening might have a very different experience um, than I do. Of course, in my household, we have two young children who are ridiculously excited about Santa coming. We are thinking about the types of cookies we're going to make. We're uh, already planning. I have some carrots that are being overwintered in a cold frame. We're going to go out and pick some carrots from the cold frame for the reindeer, because obviously the reindeer need the fuel more than Santa does. I'm just saying, Santa does a lot of work, but those reindeer have to fly around the world. Are you kidding me? So we are fully in this holiday Christmas celebration mode. But for me, the holidays are about family and they are about spending time together. They are about creating memories with people that I love. And that has always been the core of the Christmas season. And that's what continues now in our family. And when we break things down to what really matters, for me, it's always coming back to my family. And part of my ability to be here and to be present and be the mom that I want to be, well, (laughs) comes with a lot of introspection. And this is something I will touch on in this episode today. But I do find that when we have big moments in our life, we have transformational experiences happen in our life, such as becoming a parent, that's definitely a big one. We undergo this introspection. And everyone goes through this in different ways, and there are different outcomes. But for me, I started to look at the way that I was putting my energy out into the world and how that brought value to not only myself, not only my family, but the world in large. And that was the seed that took me to leaving the full-time wonderful, absolutely amazing um, job that I had and community of people that I was with to be right here with you in your earbuds. And when I look back to the thing that put me on this trajectory, that allowed me to get to this point, it comes back to that night, swinging on the swings and being introduced to this idea that we have beliefs about things that we hold to be true. And really, that was the seed for understanding so much about myself. What I've come to learn is that we create our reality. And we create that reality based on what we believe to be possible and true. And that's what today's episode is about. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I meant it when I said I will be asking you to take radical responsibility in this episode. There will be a hearty dose of introspection. The good thing is you're only responsible to and for yourself. I'm not going to be calling you up after me like, hey, did you do it? No, you get out what you put in and you get to decide how much you do. So today's episode is really about identifying and overcoming the limiting beliefs that are in our life. Now, with most things, I like to start with a definition. My logical brain gets on board 
when I take the time to define things. And so I want us to understand the difference between a belief and a fact. So a fact, as defined by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, my go-to source, (laughs) not the Urban Dictionary, is one, something that has an actual existence or an actual occurrence, or two, a piece of information presented as having objective reality. So for instance, the sun rises and sets every day. That is an objective reality. We experience that every day. We might not see it on the days when there is full cloud cover. Those of us who are practicing astrophotographers happen to notice there's a lot of those days, aren't there? But it always rises and sets. Now, don't come at me, those who live so far up north, when you get to the time where it doesn't rise and set. For those of us at the non-crazy north uh, latitudes, the sun rises and sets every single day. That is an objective reality and will be for the duration of our life, um, unless there's some unforeseeable catastrophic event that happens, sun rises and sets. Water freezes at zero degrees Celsius, 32 degrees Fahrenheit. I know that very well. Jazz is having to smash through water, through uh, the ice on top of the water when we're going to the lake. One of her favorite things, though, is going through all the ice, so... I can't, we can't complain too much. That's an objective fact. Belief, however, is defined by Merriam-Webster as a state or habit of mind in which trust or confidence is placed in some person or thing. The part of that definition that jumps out to me, especially in terms of what we'll be talking about today, is that it's a state or habit of mind. So a belief is something that is created in our mind. It is not an objective reality. A belief is based on what you've been told and what you personally hold as true through things that have happened to you and your experiences in life. It does not, beliefs, they do not have to be factual in order for them to exist. A belief does not have to be based in reality or fact in order for it to feel true for us. And those beliefs can be extremely powerful. We hold our beliefs very often close to our heart. I think most of us can objectively see this when we look at beliefs that are held by others that we see in a different way. It's very easy to look from the outside to others and beliefs that they have. But beliefs that we have, uh, a little bit harder to pin those down, isn't it? Often our beliefs come from when we're children, which, side note, as I started to get in and learn more about this after having my children, the kind of the catalyst for deciding to go through this journey of introspection and realization, I'm also like, oh, holy, I don't try not to swear on this podcast. Uh, I don't want to mess up my kids. I can, I can so easily. So yeah, um, when we're kids is when a lot of our beliefs are 
really being created. When kids are between the ages of three and five, that's when they start to understand that they have their own thoughts and that there are beliefs and thoughts other than their own. So this is called the theory of mind. And this is when you start to create your own beliefs in life and what you think is true. Theory of mind as an idea was first proposed in 1978. And since then, it's had multiple studies done. You can go um, and look them up and read them. It's very interesting. But one particular thing stood out to me when I was reading the papers. And that was the way in which researchers originally tested the hypothesis of the theory of mind. And it was to use a false belief test. This is something they did with children as young as 15 months old. And they were basically testing the the child's belief of where an object was and trying to get them to believe there was a place that wasn't. Spoiler alert, the 15-month-olds passed the test, but there were studies that showed children who get it to be toddlers in the two to three age range didn't pass the test. It was then as we get into the three to five-year-old range that we start to be able to pass that test, to understand that there are other beliefs out there and that people think different things around the same topic. Now, what struck me upon reading about this false belief test was how relevant it is even today to me as an adult around the things that I believe and the things that I take to be true. Because when we're forming a belief, for that belief to stick, we must have some type of evidence about it. It's got to pass a test for it to stick, like this false belief test. It just so happens that as children, we don't have the knowledge or ability to create tests that would stand up objectively, like those that scientists will use to put their theories through the ringer and come out with their results at the end. Instead, we believe something is true based on how others interact with us or the direct outcome of a situation. So for instance, I have this vivid recollection of when I was in grade primary and I colored a dinosaur purple. Heaven forbid. My teacher came over to me and told me very loudly in front of the entirety of the class that dinosaurs are not purple and that my drawing was wrong. Think about hearing that as a five-year-old in front of your whole entire class. That day, there was a belief created in my little five-year-old mind. That belief was that I was not good at drawing. And I held on to that belief because it protected me from having that level of embarrassment again. If I was no good at drawing, well, I shouldn't even try to draw. If I didn't try to draw, then I wouldn't have the teacher tell me in front of the whole class that I was bad at it. My brain created this belief to protect me. And this is a belief, you know, you're like, oh yeah, Christine, little five-year-old girl. No, this is a belief that followed me through my life. In art university, I had to take a certain number of drawing courses to finish my degree. And when I first realized this, I was like, are you kidding me? I'm doing a photography degree. Like I'm doing a Bachelor of Fine Arts with a major in photography. Who expects me to need to know how to draw? I hated the drawing classes 
hated them. I felt like a fraud. Every time I put up my work, I remember thinking how inferior it was to every other person in the room. Until the final assignment in my second semester, this was not the first semester, this took a while, it took um, our university, Christine, a while to get through this. But I took my time with it. I remember doing this graphite drawing in my little apartment that I had. It was above my cousin's daycare, which by the way, might be why it took me a while to have kids. Uh, My first ever apartment on my own was living above a daycare. Let's just say it was loud. But I remember working on this assignment and I was determined to show that I deserved to be there. And one of the things when I was accepted to art university, I got in on a conditional acceptance. It was, uh, oh, we think you have some uh, promise here, but it's not showing through. So you need to do a good job in the first year. You're not going to get in. So I was really determined to show I deserved it. I deserved to be there. And I still remember my professor, her name, I can't remember, but she had this white stripe through her eyelashes on her, above her left eye. Um, I remember that very vividly. I put the drawing that I did, it was a flower, I put my flower drawing up, and my professor said that it was my best work yet, that it had movement, it had energy, and I got my first A in the class. It took me from age five to age 19 to get over the belief that I was not good at drawing. Because when we form beliefs as children, we're going to integrate that belief into our life. And it's very easy to reaffirm that belief countless times, to use that confirmation bias of having experiences again and again that show us that that belief is true. The thing is, it's really important to understand that we form these beliefs because our brain wants to protect us from pain in the future. It's a defense mechanism. The problem, the problem, the problem, the problem is when these beliefs are not true and they're holding you back from something you desire. This is what we call a limiting belief. You've probably heard of limiting beliefs before in some way. I, though, never had before that night, swinging on the swing in Kenneth Walker Park with jazz. It was groundbreaking for me to really be like, oh, all of these things that I took as true are not. They're not true. So a limiting belief is a belief that we have specifically that's holding us back from something. And right now, if there's something that you want in life, photography, business, and you don't have it yet, there is a reason you don't. And my friend, that reason is you. I say this coming from a place of experience in that exact thing. Now, once you can accept that, then you can begin to change it. Now, at the end of this episode, I'm going to give you a framework for working through your limiting beliefs. But first, I want to give some examples of 
limiting beliefs. As I mentioned earlier, I was introduced to this by my first ever coach. Her name was Emily King, and I did her Rich Woman program. I invested in the program after the birth of my son. As I talked about before, too, transformation in life often begets introspection in life. And inside her program, we walked through identifying our limiting beliefs around money and then beginning to shift them. It was the first time in my life that I realized I had any beliefs whatsoever about money, that all these things I thought to be true, factual things, weren't actually true. I remember in one of the early weeks modules, she listed out limiting money beliefs, like money doesn't grow on trees, or you have to work hard for money, easy come, easy go with money. You're selfish if you want to make a lot of money. Rich people are bad. This, well, this was kind of my gateway drug into the world of introspection. Because there are multiple things on that list that I was just like, well, no, of course money doesn't grow on trees. And yeah, you do have to work hard for money. Like, are you kidding me? Who has ever made money and not worked hard for it? That should have been a giveaway for myself right then. But this really going through that exercise was like a whole new world that I had no idea existed, opened up in front of me. It was really easy for me to list out a lot of my limiting money beliefs. And there were many. Growing up the way that I did, experiencing things like what it was like to have no oil in the middle of the winter, or no food unless we went to a food bank. It was easy for me to have a lot of preconceived notions around money, around my ability to make money, to keep money, to live, all of the things. And it's funny how deep this goes. Even just last month when our furnace broke, we knew it was going to. We had been working with people to uh, get things switched over to a new system and everything tends to take a long time with the uh, world that we're living in um, post-COVID and or whatever, whatever it's called. There is a great demand for a lot of services and just not the people to do it. And a lot of people at sick and unable to work and all of the things. So we ended up with no heat, uh, no hot water, and it was the coldest day of the year we've had so far. We had been having a lovely year and then bam, Cold, freezing cold. Nope, no heat in the house, no hot water. And it wasn't even that terrible, really. We have two heat pumps in the house. We were able to keep those running so that the house wasn't frigidly cold. We had power, you know, we have everything we need. We could make hot water. But for me personally, it immediately took me back to those experiences that I had as a child. And it was really interesting for me to kind of step out of myself and realize that my reactions around 
the particular circumstances we had, which if you looked at them from like a bird's eye level view, the circumstance would be that the furnace was not currently working and it was a little bit colder than normal in our house and we couldn't take showers or baths. So we were a little bit smelly, Um, but that was it. That was all that the circumstance was. There wasn't this dire thing where we were in a position where we couldn't afford to fix it. Very grateful that we were in a position that we could afford to fix that. It just meant that we had a few days of uncertainty of calling people. You know, if you would look at it again from this bird's eye view, you would just like see me on the phone a whole bunch um, and see me boiling water uh, to use for bedtime when washing the kids up and stuff like that. Really not a huge deal. An inconvenience, certainly, but not a huge deal. But if you could see inside my head... It was bringing up everything that comes with growing up and going through experiences of not having basic needs, being able to be met, and the uncertainty that comes from that. So you can probably see how when I got into this whole world of being like beliefs around money, I had a few. And that was the first place that I started working through them. And I'm going to give you, at the end of this episode, the framework that I went through, um, what I was coached on, and how I also, um, just kind of how I changed it and massaged it for something that really makes sense in my brain, which tends to be a very logical brain. And if I can see it, then it, it exists. And limiting beliefs, you can't necessarily see them. So it can sometimes be harder to believe that they exist and that they have the monumental impact that they really do. So that was my first step into this world. The real work came when I worked with a coach who invited me to look at all of the other limiting beliefs in my life. And this is work that is 100% ongoing. Just when I think I've worked through something big that like, ah, I got over a big milestone, something else pops up and I'm like, oh, darn it. I didn't even think of that. Now I can't not think of it because now I can see all the ways that it's impacting my life. For instance, I was watching a replay of a coaching call from a program that I'm in and another woman was talking through her particular issues around independence and the reasons why being wildly independent have led her to not ask for help. And I had to pause it and be like, oh, shoot. I've never thought of this before in the context of my life. And here it is slapping me in the face because I'm at a point now where I'm ready to think about that and integrate these learnings into my life. So this is why I said today's episode is going to ask you for a high level of introspection, because I can't tell you what your limiting beliefs are and how they are holding you back from the thing that you want. But I can give you some tools to help understand them to move forward. And for me, really, really helps my brain 
to have some examples. So I wanna go through just some common limiting beliefs that are out there. Like for instance, I'm not good enough. I don't have the enough time. No, I'm not talented enough to do that. I don't have what it takes to do that. I'm not ready for that. When we're going through what these limiting beliefs are, a lot of times they will come up in the form of I am this or I am not this. Or listen for any time you think always, like I always do this or I've always been this. No, you haven't. You have not always been that. Just so you know, whatever that thing is that you say you have always been, it's not true. And it does not have to be true going forward. Because guess what? You, you and I, you are a being with absolute infinite potential. The fact of your very existence is a thing of miracles. Look, I've grown two humans inside of me. I have been blessed to experience the miracle of creating life twice. I can think of nothing more pure than that. And when I talk to my children of what they can do or be, the answer is anything. That's my same answer for you. The only difference is that now we have lived this life. And somewhere along the line, we picked up these beliefs that our brains created to keep us safe. And instead, they're keeping us small. And what I am asking of you today is to let go of those beliefs. To bring my first course ever online to a bigger market, I had to let go of the belief that everyone had to like me. Because by dint of putting myself out there in front of more people, in front of a bigger audience, I'm not going to have everyone like me. Of course not. But that's a hard pill to swallow. To have people that you've never met before telling you that your work is not good enough, that you're not qualified to do this, that they don't like you, that they don't like your work. That's going to happen. It has happened to me multiple times. And I had to let go of that belief that I had to be liked by everyone in order to feel safe enough to put my work out into the world and to put my courses out there to sell my work. I had to let go of the belief that because I enjoyed creating my work, that I didn't deserve to ask for money for it. Does that resonate with anyone? I feel like as an artist, along the way, we might have that thought come up. Where is the value in the thing I'm creating? Because I really enjoy it. I love being out there and creating. So it's all for me, isn't it? How could I charge someone else thousands of dollars for a print of my work when I enjoy it so much? I don't deserve to ask money for that. I had to let go of that belief before I could put my work out there, before I could say, yes, I do do limited edition fine artwork, and yes, it will cost you this much money for a print. To be here with you right now, where you're listening to me, to launch this podcast, the After Dark Photography Podcast, I had to let go of the belief 
that I wasn't worthy of having something to say. That because of how I grew up, my circumstances, the small rural place that I came from, the lack of fancy schooling and all of the things growing up, that I had to let go of all of that. Because if I thought I wasn't worthy, how in the heck could I come on here and talk for an hour at a time and believe, really truly believe that what I was saying was useful for someone else? To be where I am today, to have reached really financial freedom for my family, I had to let go of the belief that I had to work hard for money and that money doesn't grow on trees. When I first graduated university, I worked like a dog. Heck, the moment I got out of high school, I worked like a dog. All through university. By the way, I did two university degrees that are supposed to take four years each in five years total. My whole life was planned. The moment I decided I was doing two degrees instead of one, I planned out every single course. Over the entirety of my university career, I had two courses that were free. And I don't know what it's like. I don't know. I've only ever been to art university, but all my friends were taking like cool screen printing courses and book binding courses and just fun stuff that you can do because you have all these open credits. I had none, absolutely none. And when I ended up having two, I went to uh, Dalhousie University, which is the main university here. And I did environmental science courses. Fun fact. I did those two university degrees in a short period of time. And I worked borderline full-time the whole time I was in university so that I could pay to be putting myself through university and I could help my family with money. Once I got out of university, I got a job. I got a full-time job, an amazing full-time job. I also had my own photography business on the side and I also taught photography at the university. I actually started teaching photography at the university prior to even graduating from the university. And I did all of this because in my mind, I had to work hard. If I didn't work hard for my money, that was it. There was no survival. This was so ingrained in me. I worked on average 70 to 80 hours a week for years. It was not outside of the ordinary for me to work until 1 a.m., 2 a.m., to be in the office that late. During some of our busier periods, we would be in the office until midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and then back in the office at 9 o'clock the next day. But it just seemed normal. That was the culture. And of course, I had to work hard for that money. I had to drive myself into the ground. But how did I get here today? where I'm the CEO of an incorporated business that does multiple six figures a year. How did I get here? I had to let go of those limiting beliefs. And that is probably, for people, the most frustrating answer. (laughs) If they say to me, like, how did you get where you were? And I'm like, oh, I had to let go of a whole bunch of beliefs. It's like, oh, come on, give me something better than that. But that's it. That's the biggest secret, if you want to, I'm air quoting secret here, to getting the thing, the place that you want to be at. So I told you 
at the start of this episode, earlier on, that I would give you a little bit of a framework for working through limiting beliefs. And what I want to preface before this, this has now been something that I have been actively working through for six years. That's when I took the first the first kind of self-help developmental course was six years ago for me. So this is something that has been constantly in my brain. Like it's pretty much not a day goes by that I don't have some type of revelation or thought or just acknowledgement of this happening for me. So we're going to get started and we're going to get started for our purposes with a goal that we have that we're working towards, but we haven't yet reached. Now, what I would hope is that this is something that you take to heart and you apply in multiple places in your life, but also not all at once and not all right away. I mean, that's the reason why I tell you how long I've been actively thinking about this and working on it, because it's not something that happens overnight. And it shouldn't be. It's like, you know, when when you go to therapy, um, of which I've had multiple therapists, and it's been an interesting and evolving conversation um, as I learn more about myself. Funnily enough, I had the thought the other day, the very first time I went uh, to therapy, and um, I like had this conversation. I was like, well, I just want to work on this one thing. Everything else in my life is good. And now like when I go, I'm like, everything is just like completely in shambles inside my head. But it's fine. I understand it's a, a way to build, take things apart and build them back up. But anyways, the progression is there. But it's always one step at a time. So we're not going to tackle absolutely every single thing. And you shouldn't because then you're just going to get overwhelmed and not do anything. So where I would invite you to start is to come up with a goal that you have. Please make it a specific goal, you know, like the SMART, what is it, um, specific, measurable, actionable, whatever all the other ones are. Um, I don't, there's lots of acronyms for things out there. You can look it up after. Uh, just try and have it as a specific goal and not one that seems like it's too crazy outside of the realm of possibility. We want to start somewhere that we can keep up with this, that we can have continued thought and action towards it, as opposed to coming up with something that's so big that we would never even look at it. And what I will say where I started and when I was working with Emily I remember having this um, laser coaching session with her where we'd work together for 15 minutes one-on-one. And she said to me, she was like, well, come up with what you would really like. And my thought, because this was around developing my business, was the main reason I was working with her. And so my thought was like, well, you know what? I love the work that I do at the toy company I'm at, but I don't want to do that full time. So I was like, if I could come into the office two days a week or three days a week and then do the rest of the time out of the office working on my own, that would be amazing. Like in an ideal world, that's what it would be. I couldn't have even thought at that point that I would just work full time in my own business and do so very successfully. Like it wasn't even there yet. And that's okay because we build goals that we can work towards now. And when we achieve those goals, same thing, like when I was talking on the podcast earlier, 
about the other podcast I was on, um, sorry, about, you know, have I made it? Oh, I'm constantly making it because the goals are these specific goals that then I can hit and then I can get on to the next one and I can constantly be evolving. So I want you to come up with an idea of a goal in your head. And this could be anything. It could be creating an image that you think is worth printing and putting up on your wall. Or it could be selling your first piece of work or becoming a professional photographer or getting published or exhibiting your work. It could be anything. And this could be photography. I mean, that's, we are here. (laughs) Sometimes I know we go on these uh, rabbit holes on the podcast, but we are here because we're all creatives, because we're photographers. Unless you're my friends who are listening to this and then you're just here because you're lovely and listening. But I know it's applicable in so many other ways too. So I want you to have this idea, this goal in your head. The very first step is we need to identify the beliefs we have that are keeping us from achieving this goal. And this is going to be the most difficult part of all of this. What I recommend to do is to keep a thought journal. So the first step for this, and this is what I did as well, is to get out a journal, have a dedicated page, and just start writing down every single thing you think about that goal and why you're not there yet, what you've been doing to get there, and just write it all down, all of it. You can have a a specific note on your phone for it. So if you have thoughts that come up, throughout the day. I want you to write them down. A really good exercise is to do a 24-hour stint where you write down all of the thoughts that you have throughout the day around this specific goal. And very be very intentional if there are any negative thoughts or things that come up through the day to write those down as well. What this starts to do is it gives you something you can look at objectively. Like you can kind of be a third party (laughs) to your own thoughts and read through it and you'll be able to start picking out the things in it that are not actually truths. And you'll know they're not truths because you can go back. What did we say earlier? A truth is something objective. It is true for everyone. And that leads us to number two, because Once we've identified this belief, then I want you to ask the question, when is this belief not true? I want you to become a detective. Find contradicting evidence. When is this thing not true? This will look different for all different people. Um, I like to look at people who have the thing that I want and then see about these beliefs that I have around getting to where this this goal is that I want to reach, look at the people who already have it. And are they embodying those beliefs? Are these beliefs true or not true? Get really specific about this. I want you to give examples, either with yourself or with others. Because once we can start to build a case for why this limiting belief is not always true and not always true for everyone in general, then we can start to build that case for why it's not true for us. And that's what leads us into number three. Because number three, this is going to be an uncomfortable question, I'm not going to lie, 
you need to then ask yourself, okay, this belief is not always true. Why am I holding on to this belief? This is the part where you don't have to tell anyone this. You don't have to conversation with anyone else about this. There is no excuse making here. There is only looking into yourself and finding what's true for you. Because in order for us to ultimately let go of this belief and get past it, we need to know why we still have it. And we still have it because it's benefiting us. And you might say to yourself, no, there's no reason that this thing is benefiting me. But it is because you're still acting in this way. You're still letting this limiting belief really define your actions. So what is the benefit? What do you get out of continuing to believe this thing? How does it keep you safe? For instance, one of my limiting beliefs, that you have to work hard to make money. Well, that kept me safe because I knew that if I just kept working hard, I wouldn't get to the point where I didn't have enough money for food. All I had to do is keep working hard. And I was guaranteed I would still have enough money for food. I would still have enough money to survive. I'd be okay. But once I let go of the belief that you have to work hard to make money, all of a sudden there were no more guarantees. All of a sudden I was into this world of entrepreneurship where there are not guarantees. It is a huge risk to be an entrepreneur, to run your own business. Huge, huge risk. And that does not feel safe, especially to someone who has grown up with food insecurity and instability. So why was I holding on to the belief that I have to work hard to make money? Because it served me to keep me safe. So why are you holding on to your belief? And this might take time to get to the root of this. Like I said before, I'm going to be asking you to take radical responsibility in your own life because you are the only one who has the capacity to change it. When we get to the root of this, when we understand why a limiting belief is serving us, then we can go to number four. And we can start to let it go. And not just frozen style. Believe me, I have a frozen castle right up above my head in the playroom. And you take the little, uh, the ice stares out and she starts singing, let it go. No, this letting go is a much less dramatic process. And it is one that is ongoing. And what I ask of you, when you realize how a limiting belief has been benefiting you and you start to say, okay, I'm ready to let this go. I'm ready to move on to a new belief, to something that will serve me better. I want you to give yourself forgiveness or give yourself grace. Because here's the thing. When I personally first realized I had been operating from very specific beliefs, it was easy to be really, really hard on myself asking myself the questions like, why did I do that? Why didn't I see what I was doing? Well, we all know hindsight is twenty twenty. And what I want you to remember 
is that in the past, you did the best with what you had. And now you're creating a new skill set and you're having a new level of best available to you. So with a caring mind to yourself, because let's be real, we are all our own worst critics and we are the hardest on ourselves of anyone in the world. So give yourself a little bit of grace here. I want you to ask and to start to think about what would it look like if I didn't have this belief? This is the process of letting go. What would I do without this belief? How would my actions be different? Because where the pedal hits the metal here is changing our actions. We can do as much as we want inside of our head, but if we do not take corresponding action in our real 3D world, well, it doesn't make a huge difference in our actual circumstances. So what would I do? What action would I take? Who would I be if I no longer operated from this belief? If I stepped into a new belief, one that wasn't limiting me, because don't get me wrong here, we are always going to have beliefs. We're always going to, but you need to decide on the ones that you want to keep and the ones that are serving you to get you to the place that you want to be. And that takes me to the last step here. This is something that I use consistently as a way to remind myself of who I want to be and the beliefs that I want to step into and the ones that I want to let go of. And this is using affirmations. This is probably not the first time that you've been told to use affirmations or you've heard about them for good reason. There are studies out there that prove that positive affirmations help to activate parts of our brain that are associated with self-related processing and reward. Most of this work comes from the self-affirmation theory. So if you're like me and you like to look up empirical evidence around things, that's what you want to go look up. The key thing with using affirmations is that they are about a new way of thinking and training your brain to think. And there's also some stuff in there about the neuroplasticity of our brain and when we, um, our brain like sometimes can't tell the difference between what is real and not real and it mixes things up a little bit. And when we are using affirmations, we are actually training our brain on how to think and sometimes tricking it into what we actually think is real. So, we know now how we've been thinking in the past. We don't want to keep perpetuating that cycle. So it's time to give our brain a new way to think. And that's where affirmations come into play. But like anything, it's a practice. You don't learn how to conjugate French verbs once and then never a practice again and have perfect recollection of them. I can give you some hard evidence of that based on me trying to read my son's French library books that he comes home with and being like, oh, I learned this once and now I don't remember. From my own personal experience with affirmations, I picked two that resonate with who I am continuously practicing being. 
I have them written down on my bedside table. Other people write them on their mirror. I didn't want my husband to make fun of me, so I didn't do that. Um, yes, that's, that's the kind of person he is. But anyways, it's very lovely in other ways. What I want you to do for your affirmations is to choose ones that align with the goals that you are working towards now. And the very, very key thing here is to make sure that your affirmations are set in the present. A good example of this is, I am enough. It'd be a good affirmation. Whereas, I will be enough. Yeah, it doesn't quite do it. Think about this, I will be enough. What does that imply? Well, it implies you are not enough right now. So set any affirmation that you come up with in the present. Now, if you have not used affirmations before, it might feel a little bit weird to use them. And I get that. You can just say it in your head. I do look in the mirror and say mine to myself sometimes. And especially um, the current affirmations that I'm using, I came up with a few months ago. I first made myself say them to myself in the mirror because it was awkward AF and didn't feel real and felt silly and stupid. And I made myself do it anyways. And now when I wake up in the morning and I grab my water bottle to have a drink, I see my affirmations there, just two of them on my side table. And they remind me of who I'm constantly looking to be. And that's what it's about. It's about being intentional and practicing it. So the first step is understanding and acknowledging the limiting belief that exists. The second step is letting it go. And the third step is deciding a new way of being. Now, I'm going to leave you with one more thing that I think can help with all of this. And it's a little bit, I almost was like, ah, should I put this in there? Because it's kind of like coming on to a new concept that's a bit outside of what we've talked about in this podcast, but I think it's relevant. And this is understanding your core values. You can find lists anywhere on the internet. I'm not going to read through a list here of what potential core values could be, but just Google core values, core value list, and it will come up. And I want you to go through, especially if you've never actually actively outlined before, like these are my core values in life. I want you to go through one of those big lists with like tons of different things on it and identify your top five core values. Write them down. Now, once you have those, cross two out. Literally X them out and get rid of them. And I'm not saying that those things are not important to you, but for me personally, I find five things in my head. It's too many things rolling around. Instead, three core values, that's something that I can keep in my head at all times. And I want you to rank your core values from one to three. I don't know. I feel like there's a reason why we have like a gold, silver, um, and bronze medal, because like three is our limit. After that, it's a little bit too much. So I want us to get our three core values, our gold one, our silver, and our bronze. Have those in your head. So for me, my three core values are family, kindness, and creativity. And when I am struggling, I'm struggling to reach a goal. And that's something that's happened a lot this year, especially in my business this year, everything has been a little bit different 
this year because it has been a very different year. And there have been times where I have set goals inside my business and I have wildly missed them. And it sometimes becomes a struggle and it sometimes goes back into the, I am not worthy, who am I to do this? All of those beliefs that I thought for sure I had gotten rid of and I didn't, and they were still popping up again. And I would bring them back to my core values. Am I serving my family? Am I serving my family by being up until 2 a.m. every night working? (laughs) And am I bringing kindness and creativity to the world? So is this thing that I'm doing, is this new thing that I'm trying, is it bringing kindness and creativity into the world? Is it allowing me to show up in a way where I'm modeling that, where I'm bringing that in? And I think you will find when you go through these steps, identifying your beliefs and creating new ones, and you have this lens of what is important to you, what your core values are in your life, that things will become a lot clearer. Okay, I did say we were going in pretty deep today, didn't I? This is an episode that I will be honest with you, I have had in my brain for quite a while. And here's the kicker. I haven't done it because I've asked myself the question multiple times, who am I to talk about this? There are people who know so much more about this. Who do I think I am to bring up this conversation, to have this conversation with people about photography? Do you know what I was, what was happening there? Anyone have some uh, limiting beliefs coming in again about my ability to bring topics in a way that's useful and meaningful to people? But I really was looking for, you know, what am I going to do as an end of the year episode? Because this will be my last episode for this year. I'll be taking a week off um, over the holidays with family. And I thought to myself, if I was having a conversation with someone and I wanted them to take away one thing for the end of the year, to work on just one thing, what would it be? And this is the thing that's been the most impactful in my life. And it's the thing that's allowed me to get to a place where there's so much joy and happiness and creativity and fun in my life. So that's how we got to today's episode. And I'm really grateful that you're here with me. And I'm grateful that you've been here with me for this wild rind of 2022. I'm excited to see what 2023 brings. I have some fun things in the hopper for the podcast, some things that are a little bit different. And I look forward to just all the conversations we get to have together. So thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your willingness to listen. And thank you for your willingness to do the work. Happy New Year, everyone. I will talk to you soon.